Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 40, the big 4-0 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Kendrick Percocet. And I'm joined here by one of my nearest and dearest friends, Demarcus, a.k.a. All the Carew Smoke. You got any AKs for yourself today? For this episode, I do. AKA Big Baby, because in 40 weeks, you could have a baby. We've been with you almost a whole year. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Maybe one of y'all did have a baby. Maybe you should name it Anthony or Demarcus or something. I don't know. Nah, name that shit like. I'm not going to say that. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Uh, too early in the podcast. We know that. All right. So, big fun fact Lamar Jackson, 2019 NFL MVP is negotiating his contract without an agent, just him and his mom. What do you think about that? little concern. I think if he wants to keep it real simple, he calls up Dak's agent, says, print me out the contract, takes it to the Ravens and say, just just let me sign this. I, I might say you got to put a little bit on that bit. Okay. An extra .1 million on everything. <laughs> <laughs> just say you're the highest paid quarterback. Uh, oh, look. It, it's a good deal. It ain't bad. It ain't bad. It ain't bad. Look. We have an exciting show for you today. We are going to spill some tea on Alex Caruso as well as a recent Vikings draft pick who was shot four times this week. We are going to get into our round two takeaways of the NBA playoffs. We are going to give you the fly route for rebuilding this Celtics roster and our grades on the plethora of moves they've made in the offseason already. We're going to give you all of our predictions for the AFC North. And last but definitely not least, we are going to give a big, big, big baller's bouquet to call Nasib for being the first openly gay man to play a snap in the NFL. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. Welcome to the tee off. Ooh, spill that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get themselves into. Look, this week, we got a little two-parter for you. We're going to start with some sad and with some funny. All right, sad. Jalen Ty Man. It's spelled T-W-Y-M-A-N. Six-round pick for the Minnesota Vikings this year. He was one of four people shot in the D.C. area. That is where he's from. He was back home during the offseason this past Monday. Okay. It's kind of crazy. He was just driving in a car. Hot out there. Yeah. Look, y'all don't know much about him because he's a six-round draft pick, but he's in his like hometown area, and his hometown area has always been hot. Like, my people is from the D.C., B. Moore area. They know the block is hot over there. 
And the way that his agent and every news source has described this is he really just caught some strays, just like wrong place, wrong time. There was a drive-by shooting. Like the cops found dozens of shell casings in the area. He and three other men got shot. Two of the men that were shot left, fled the location, but showed up to a hospital later on and then were identified. Him and another person on the scene were shot. Police came on the scene, attended to them, took them to the emergency room, right? So it looks like two sets of people shooting at each other and man's just got caught in the middle of it. it it's kind of insane. He got shot four times. Man, this is, I'm going to talk about J. Cole for a second. Um, you know, he has a great, great line on off his new album where he's like, I wish there was a hotline for my niggas to call when they think about getting triggers involved. Because a lot of people die unnecessarily. It's Whether it's D.C., Baltimore, Chicago, Houston, wherever, it's unnecessary. Yeah. Look, he grew up in the Linky Heights projects. He... Look, he beat all the odds, all of them. His father was doing 10 years for drug trafficking when he was five. Yes, mm. his uncle was shot less than a mile from where he was shot. His older brother was also shot in that same area. I just never go back. <laughs> Yo, and, but he, he, his whole thing is he beat the odds, he got to the NFL, all with the dream of making the generational money to move his family yeah. out of that very same area. Nah, it's a real thing. A lot of players go through this. This is what we don't realize. A lot of players come from poverty. People make fun of them for not knowing how to deal with fame, money, success, etc. Like, the idea that LeBron James has been around and in the spotlight for 25 years, basically, and has never done anything wrong is amazing. And there are so many other players who do do things wrong, but only because they don't have the experience, context, whatever, to know how to do right. I mean, you go back, for example, Miami Hurricanes, huge, huge example of this. They would love to go to the hood in Miami and get the football players. But, you know, that's where they at. And they had a bunch of Hall of Fame players. Exactly. So that is where talent is at, but they are not nurtured at all. It is, um, I guess the best analogy is like a bucket of crabs. It's tough because it really seems like these people had no intention of shooting him. He really just caught some strays. But the best part about this is like, thank God, all flesh wounds, all exit wounds require no surgery. And according to him, his agent, and all the sources I have seen, he is supposed to be able to make a full recovery, be ready for the season, and it should not impact his career at all. Now, before we finish up on this, I want to say two quick things as a responsible gun owner. <laughs> <laughs> responsible gun owner DeMarcus. So first is slash maybe future law school student. Number one, intent follows the bullet. Doesn't matter what you were trying to do. Whatever you do, 
counts. That's it. Okay. The second is you got to always know where you're shooting, what's in front of it, and what's behind it. And you're responsible for it. So there's no accidentally shot him in the stray. You shot. That's your job to know. People pick up strays in situations like this. All the time. Yet daily. If there were more responsible gun owners, though, <laughs> it wouldn't happen. Yo, speaking of responsible gun owners, let's transition to our second story, right? Alex Caruso, L.A. Lakers Alex Caruso, was recently arrested at an airport in College Station for the possession of marijuana and drug paraphernalia. For those that don't know, that's a little college town. That's where Texas A&M is. It's right outside of Houston. Facts. And the crazy part is he just had a grinder in his bag that still has some weed in it, and they booked him on it. Uh, he got caught in security by TSA. For y'all that don't know, this happens to you. TSA generally turns you over to the local authorities, and the local authorities deal with you, and you don't get on your flight. Local authorities arrest him. He ends up posting bail. He gets out. And a lot of people on social media have been comparing the fact that drug laws are still so stringent in Texas, but now in Texas, you no longer need a license, a permit, or a background check, or any training to own a gun. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not it. It's to openly carry a gun in public. Not just own it. <laughs> openly carry it in public. Okay, facts. Talk that. Responsible gun owner DeMarcus. Oh, I won't be that. doing it. Listen, listen. I I talk about this on here, but if you see me in person and I have a gun on me, I don't want you to know I have a gun on me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to be one of those people partaking in the what Texas calls constitutional carry. Look, that is wild. Like the comparison was big. There was a, this one's a lot lighter because he's Alex Caruso. He got all the money. It's also weed. Misdemeanor charges. He's going to be fine. LeBron James was retweeting jokes about this already. Stephen A gave him the famous stay off the weed. <laughs> Man, the crazy part is, is it's just weed, which it's never hurt anybody ever. And guns kill hundreds of thousands every year. But that's my right as an American, Demarcus. Man, if we're really talking about my rights, the government has no right to tell me what I can and cannot put in my body or possess to put in my body. I ain't talk that <laughs> shit. Talk that shit. That was your tea off. Ooh, 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 ooh. spit that tea, ooh, sis. Spit that tea, ooh. sis. Y'all, it's Tony Playboy. All right, all right. We're going to get into our takeaways from round two of the NBA playoffs. This was an exciting round of games. We had multiple game sevens. Three? Three game sevens? Like, that's great. And then one game four. But <laughs> neither here nor there. Let's start with the Bucks versus the Nets. Bucks take it in seven, four, three. Yo, okay. We got to talk about KD's foot. Yo, we got to talk about KD's foot. They are like this close for our video listeners on YouTube. This close from closing the game. No OT. 
heading to the conference finals to play the Hawks. Like a big toe. And the funniest thing about this is like everybody tracked down the interviews. Shout out to one of our listeners, good friend Elise, who near instantly sent me this article from like four plus years ago where Kevin Durant tells reporters that he wears three pairs of socks plus and a shoe one size bigger than his actual shoe size because he has to deal with players stepping on his feet all the time throughout games. If Katie was wearing his real shoe size, the Brooklyn Nets would be in the conference finals right now. True or false? He could have also hit the game-winning shot in overtime. There would be no overtime. True. But I think about how, yo, you think KD gonna uh, <laughs> go back to his regular size? I think he wears a size 17 in real life, but he is wearing a size 18 on the court. <laughs> that is insane, right? The nigga's yeah. legs, that nigga's feet are the size of baguettes. <laughs> that's huge. That That's huge. I understand, though, because... Well, remember back to OKC, he had like two or three foot surgeries. Mm. Um, he's had a lot of foot problems. He has like, a, I think I want to say he had a nail or a screw and a pin in there or something for a while um, and was out for the better part of a year in 2015 okay, or 14, something like that. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. But man, this series was great. But what happened... All year, or what I thought would happen, did happen. The Nets were down at least a star. They didn't have the depth to compete after that. Really, a star and a half. Yeah, James, James Harden, Harden didn't was really, not he James really out there. Harden. Yeah, yeah, and it was, and Katie put on though. No, I mean, and the thing going back, I don't know the exact data, so I have to go back and check. My thing has always been, I just want to see the Nets do it. I want to see them do it, and they couldn't. And I think it's actually good for the league. And people have said that both of our teams out the East are eliminated before the conference finals. You had the Nets. I had the 76ers. Well, yes and no, because I did say, do not sell your buck stock. No, no, I'm I'm not (laughs) saying that you were anti bucks. No, I think you've been higher on the bucks than I have been all season long, all season long. To be fair, a rash of injuries and Katie's extra shoe size, but that's neither the shoe size I couldn't predict, but the injuries I almost did. (laughs) To be fair, yeah, they had only (laughs) played like eight games, all three of them together. So, like, I mean, the comparison from this series would be if this team won, would only play in eight games with their three stars, it'd be like AAU in the NBA. Facts, facts. Oh, and I'm just gonna say, I'm happy Giannis has gotten to the conference finals. I hope he gets to the finals and vindicates his decision to stay in Milwaukee. Oh, that's good for the league. I would love that. Yeah. I, uh, you got any other takeaways? Um, I do not. Okay. Let's move on to Philly versus Hawks. Another game seven. Cole. Ice tray? Yeah. It's cold in here? It's cold in here? <laughs> he showed up. Yep. He, he showed up at the end of game seven, but he was bad whole- in game seven. Listen. Kevin... Herder put the hurt on Seth Curry all night long. But this is always a thing. If you play well for three and a half quarters and bust it up in the fourth, 
everybody's gonna talk shit. Was that a Phil Collins song? What? They're like, all night, all night uh, long. Kevin Herter was, was giving him that all night long business. No, Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie. He was yeah. giving him that Lionel Richie's <laughs> sweet nothings in his ear all night long, hunting him. He was like, I want the switch on set now. And he ate every single time. Look, that being said, Hawks way overachieved. Hey, Listen, shout out to Nate McMillan. Yeah. I have been eh, earlier this year, higher in the playoffs, and still would not have predicted this. I, I was high on them early and did not predict this. I thought they were underrated when they were like the sixth seed trending towards four. But I mean, we've seen this model before a little bit. This is very much like Golden State when Steph first got good. If you have a shooter who can stretch and warp the defense that does a whole lot to the game that you can't predict, that and Ben Simmons not shooting. Yo, we need to talk about <laughs> Ben Simmons. Oh, my God. Not shooting. Okay. Just not even like shooting and missing, but like shot Layup, or dunk, nothing. I think that open dunk. Where he two shots in the fourth quarter in the last three games. I think no, he had zero in the last. Or it might have been zero. It was three, I think, in all fourth quarters. Like, and he hit all of them, mind you. B, but that that is the like the defining moment of this series will always be Ben Simmons getting an open dunk less than a foot from the basket. Passing it to Matisse Thibel in traffic. Matisse getting hard fouled and Ben throwing up his hands like, what the fuck? Like, that was out of an RCD world skit. Like, listen, literally, like, go back. Mark Phillips made, look, he about to be the Simpsons. I'm telling you, he predicted that like the Simpsons. Here's the thing. Ben Simmons... It's a confidence thing, clearly. Because even if you can't shoot, sometimes you still got to shoot it. Shout out to Draymond Green. Dunk it. And well, shoot it. Dunk it. Dunk it. Well, in the in the playoffs, now, should he dunk? Should he have dunked it? Yes. But he's also afraid of shooting the free throws, which is why he didn't want to go up strong and get the contact. Because even if he had gotten the dunk, he just shoot the free throw and then you get in your head again. You easy two, possible three. Sure, you'll miss it. But they traded a possible three points for one point, and Doc kind of threw him under the bus. He was like, I don't know if we can win a championship with him. And B called it the turning point of the game, even though he took a little bit of responsibility with his turnover right after. But look, Eric from Zone 6, frequent pod contributor, shout out. Before that game, he was like, every time I hear Doc Rivers say, you all got to trust each other out there, which you heard that a million times. He was like, he's saying, please trust Ben Simmons. Please, please trust Ben Simmons. I know you don't, and I understand why, but please trust Ben Simmons. And Embiid trying to break down a defender off the dribble 18 feet from the basket with a spin move in crunch time. On uh, a partially torn meniscus? Yes. Yells, I don't trust Ben Simmons. I don't trust Ben Simmons, so I have to do it myself. Listen, 
I so connect with that. That is my mentality. And why should Joel Embiid trust Ben Simmons? They've been through this multiple years now, and Ben has never really showed up in the playoffs. And he can do it like the talent is there. It's confidence. People are like, he needs to change the scenery. I'm hearing lots of trade rumors. They're saying, could he? Where do you think he should go? So there's a lot of different things out there. People are like, could he go to Golden State? Could they do a swap for Draymond? And he'd be the new version of Draymond. They don't have to shoot. People are like, could he? If I'm Golden State, you better give me two first. Listen, I'm just saying what's out there. No, I'm I'm (laughs) with you. I'm just saying, if I'm Golden State, you better give me two first. I think... Part of the problem will be Doc's comments right after game seven. Mm-hmm. He devalued Ben Simmons. He should have been talking him up, saying, oh, he has all the talent in the world. We can work with him. But he was like, I don't know if he can win a championship. I don't know if he's that guy. He tried to walk it back. But after you you say it, the cat's out of the bag. Hey, can you blame him for saying it? Like in the no, raw no. motion? It's the an moment? emotional yeah. moment. But Doc Rivers... Former GM of the Clippers knows better. <laughs> Yo, facts. We're going to stop facts, right there facts. and just move on. All right. <laughs> Talk that. Look, Nuggets versus Suns. Oh, boy. All I got to say is Suns in four. Oh, man. Listen. The most exciting part of this series was homeboy beating that Nuggets fan's ass. <laughs> so this was the third series I felt pretty strongly about, and particularly the Suns. Um I've been high on the Suns since that last little stretch after the All-Star break. I think Devin Booker is kind of coming into his own because, well, we're, we should we report on Wednesday. We're going to talk about this game last night, Tuesday night. The what, Valley Oop, they're calling it. The Valley Oop. That shit was hard. <laughs> that, that was fantastic. The Jay Crowder pass screen, is the most Well, the screen that Booker set that. with – Probably a broken nose down low. Mm-hmm. The Jay Crowder pass. Like, DeAndre so many great. Ate and open it. Like, Monty Williams. Also, I didn't call. realize, this is the big thing I want to talk about that I didn't realize, that James Jones, the journeyman who played like 12 years with LeBron, has been the GM of this team for the past couple of years, few years, and has done a fantastic job. And I was like, holy shit, how did I not know about this? <laughs> yeah, did he win um, executive of the year? Yes, this year. Mm-hmm. And also, that play happened four years ago, exactly the same for the Phoenix Sun, Tyson Chandler. Mm. Did the same play four years ago. So that brings us to Clippers v. Jazz, the other game seven. Look, this is one of the great series, period. The Clippers have given us fantastic TV all playoffs long. Oh, they Hollywood for sure. Yes, indeed. The Terrence Mann game. Reggie Jackson also had himself a night before. But I expect Reggie Jackson at this point to do really good things. Like, he was always a hooper. He was just buried in Detroit for most of his career. Well, OKC to Detroit. He had that whole beef with Russ. But yeah, he was behind Russ in OKC. Mm-hmm. So he, he was coming off the bench. Then he was in Detroit, but he was in Detroit. But he balling now. He hooping. Yes, indeed. Paul George is fighting his demons. I mean, game two against the Suns was shaky for him. But outside of that, like he has been cleaning up his image. The Jazz have a big decision to make on Mike Connolly, who is a free agent and oft injured. The 
last two games of this series, Clippers Jazz, have done a ton to help kind of reimagine Paul George's image because rightfully and deservedly, he'd been clowned for his playoff performances in the past because he did not show up and gave himself the moniker Playoff P. And in the last two games of the Sun se- or the Jazz series, and thus far in the Sun series, he's earned it now, I want to say. He's balled out. Game two was tough. He shot terribly. He was 0 for 7 through the first three quarters. He but if- came in clutch in the fourth, though, and that's what always matters, except for those two free throws. Free throws. I think that might be the first time Paul Joyce has ever missed two free throws at the line. At this year, it was the first time this year. In every other attempt, he had never missed both free throws. All right, all right. We're going to get into our fly route for today. I want to talk to Boston Celtics, man, because they have wasted no time rebuilding this entire organization to fix their failure of this year. And I say failure just because of the standard that comes with being the Boston Celtics, especially as of late. So what I really say is they, they're fixing the failures for the past five years for Danny Ainge. For never actually spicy. taking the big swing that he should have with all those draft picks. Like, he's known for fleecing people, but what did he really do with all that fleece? He gets the capital and doesn't know what to do with it. Right. But it looks like, look, it looks like Brad Stevens ain't scared to move the capital. So that's the first move. Danny Ainge steps down from GM. There was right. a lot of Brad Stevens rumors. He stopped being able to connect with the t- team and the star players but they're like this guy knows basketball this guy knows the celtics they promote him up he takes over for danny ainge no from everything i've seen brad stevens is the kind of guy that if you're running an organization a business whatever you don't want to lose that kind of employee so the promotion makes sense my thing is the moves thus far which we'll get into in a second have been solid but He's real green as a GM president to me. He has I think he no needs some help. front office experience. I think he needs some help. Interesting. Like the right assistant GM? I think an assistant GM from like a San Antonio or OKC could do a ton to help Brad Stevens navigate how a lot of these teams operate because other GMs will try to fleece the Celtics because he's so green. Ooh. Okay. That actually wants me to move right into our next topic, which is the blockbuster trade that he made very quickly with Oklahoma City, right? He makes a trade. Boston gets Al Horford to come back home. They get a second round pick in 2023 and Moses Brown, undrafted player from UCLA. Like you all don't know who he is, but you know who he is. There's that famous clip of him like missing a bunny. He puts his head down and his teammate comes up and lifts his chin as they walk up the court. Mm-hmm. UCLA. Yes. And OKC gets Kemba Walker and the Celtics this year first round pick, which is number 16. All right. So do you think they got fleeced? 
I don't think they got fleeced. I think they could have got more. OKC has a ton of young talent. That's exactly what Boston needs. They're going to be so. re- they're going to be really up close to the salary cap. We saw this past year they did not have the depth to compete with some of the teams in the East. So yes, did did they get fleeced? No. Did he get maximal value out of this? Mm, perhaps, but you kind of went backwards. Like if you're going to call OKC, don't call for Al Horford. Okay, so. What is your grade for this trade? Because I have a, a lot B. to say. B. Okay, I think this trade is actually an A minus. And I am really high on this trade, even though it's been very maligned. So I, I got a lot to say here. And I've been really in-depth looking at this stuff. The first reason why I like this trade is money, right? Kemba and Al Horford both have two years left on their contract. Al Horford costs $10 million less a year. So a total of $20 million. So for a team that's high up against the cap, that is needs the space and the flexibility. Great. Kemba also has hurt a lot recently. They had some issues rehabbing his knee. Al Horford has been healthy. So just like that has been a big change for me. The second is, I don't think Boston went backwards. I think they took a huge step forward the biggest issue for boston this year are two things the first is their front court is literally atrocious they traded daniel tice to the bulls Mm -hmm. right because they didn't think they were going to be able to retain him we said they'd miss him yes the that made the starting center tristan thompson at 10 million dollars a year giving them eight and eight their second best center was then Robert Williams. He's 6'8", but he's a small 6'8", which is great for like the small ball lineups if you want to play that. But that's not helping you against Capella. That's not helping you against Embiid. I mean, if this was like 2019 and we were in Houston, that's great. But this is 2021 and we're in Boston. Exactly. So I like this because they got Al Horford back who will automatically be the best center on that team, help fix their front court issues. They get Moses Brown, who's a project, but extremely cheap, which they need. He's 7'2", massive wingspan. And at the end of last year, he heated up. He had like four games in like the month of May with 12, 13 plus assists. Okay. Like, I, I really like that. The second thing was... Ball movement slowed down in Boston. Mm -hmm. The ball got stuck to players' hands. Everybody was playing hero ball. It wasn't moving around enough. And Al Horford helps fix that. He's pass-oriented. He can stretch the floor because he'll shoot the three. He'll open up the lane for the wings. And you know he fits next to your two stars. Well, he's a smart veteran player. Mm-hmm. The part about going back was not that Boston got worse necessarily, but the idea that Brad Stevens, former coach of Al Horford, has a connection with him, has this idea that he's dependable and reliable. And as a GM, you can't think about what players have done in the past. It's got to be, what can you do for me next? And so the money savings is huge. And Al Horford will bring some stability to the front court and be a consistent veteran presence in the locker room. But what does he look like against some of the bigs out east in the playoffs next year? What does he look like against Giannis? What does he look like against? That's what I heard people saying. I think they're all wrong. Okay. 
Al Horford played 28 games last year. He is not washed. In those 28 games for OKC, he averaged 14 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, which is equal or better than his totals his last year in Boston outside of assists. But I think standing next to someone like Tatum and Jalen Brown can help up those assist numbers. Of course. So I'm not, but 14, 7, like, was what he did in 28 games in OKC that is equal or better to his last year in Boston. So I actually think this dude has a lot of tread on the tires left. He can be great. He hasn't had a lot of wear and tear on his body lately because OKC sat him very early on because they knew they were going to trade him. I, I, I like it. He should come in rejuvenated, refreshed, with less of a load to carry outside of facilitating and, you know, grabbing boards, being a decent present. Okay. So we talked about Brad Stevens moving to the front office, talked about this trade. Now there's a big hole we haven't talked about. Head coach of the Celtics. They filled it. Yeah. Very new. Breaking news today, right? Yes. Um, Ume Adoka, former, former player. That's big, right? He played seven seasons, played for like San Antonio, Portland, and Sacramento. I think he briefly played for the Lakers, but only like four games. Been an assistant coach in the league for 10 years. So even though this is his first head coaching position. Well-seasoned. Well-seasoned. He coached for the Spurs up front. So another person from the Greg Popovich tree gets their head coaching job. He also worked for the 76ers and he worked for the Brooklyn Nets this past year. Mm. So, yeah, he, he made he his way around. Yeah, he's made his way around, and he's finally got his position. And I'm going to be honest. I actually really, really like this hire because one of our main complaints, DeMarcus, has been always giving the same dudes retread on the mm-hmm. tires. So the new blood. It, it's hard for me to want to criticize this one for the new blood. The second thing was we all knew Brad Stevens had the excellence and O's, right? He had trouble communicating with his stars this last year. That's what all the rumors said. Where's he from? Who? Brad Stevens? Is he like from... Indiana, I want to say. Indiana? Okay. I want to say he's from Indiana. For a second, I was like, is he from Utah? No, I think he's from Indiana. He's not one of those people. No. No, I I, I think everybody was like, it's not like he's unsympathetic, but more just like... Can't connect with young black people? That's what they're all basically saying. Yeah, I don't want to say it, but that's what they're saying. Right, let's say it. <laughs> okay, but according to Woj, Udoka, like head over heels above the other candidates because in Na- Team USA, he worked with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. They all loved him, like connected with him. Udoka is a black man. He's like I think in his forties or, or his thirties, but like old enough that yes. he could disperse some wisdom here and there. Yes. Yes, I, I want to say he's in his 40s, though. Uh, seven years in the league, 10 years as a coach. You're probably yeah, in your 40s. Yeah, well, I think like he's like 46. So they they loved him, right? They connected with him. He understands the game. Like, he comes from Pop's tree. And I think if that was your biggest issue was getting guys to buy in and your core three guys have said, we love this dude, 
there should be no problem with buy-in next year for the Celtics. Now, I like the the pick for him as coach. I'm interested to see what it looks like. We saw first-year coaches look very good in Steve Nash in Brooklyn. I think he can look good in Boston. My question for you now is... Wait, one more thing. Did you know that he malice in the palace to a bunch of people in the African Championship League in Algeria? I did not. He did. His teammates refer to it as Mortal Kombat, the way he was fucking people up. Is there a video of this? Uh, I don't, I, I was not able to find video, but someone said some dude jumped out the crowd with a chair and Yudoka caught him with an uppercut in midair. <laughs> <laughs> please let that be video of this. My God, please let that be video. Yes. They okay. said he he crushed him. Like, I'm, I'm super in love with this. Pop even said that he was better at communicating and teaching players certain things than he was and said he's not blowing smoke and this is way before this coaching cycle okay so this brings us to the question elephant in the room what is left what is your fly route for the boston celtics okay so the the roster moves that need to happen i think first and foremost you got to get the fuck off trista thompson's contract (laughs) no no shade but at this point He's they have four centers on their roster and they're paying him 10 mil. Ain't not very good. He's gonna be so. the second most expensive center on that roster and maybe the fourth most efficient. They gotta get off of that. But for me, the fly route is that Boston has to get a pass first point guard ASAP. And even if that means that they cannot re-sign Evan Fournier, I I hope they can, but the pass-first point guard is what this team needs. So I think if you're going to go for a guy that's expensive and let go of Evan Fournier, you're looking at like a Mike Connolly or a Kyle Lowry. If you're looking at the mid-range type of guys, you're looking at like a Lonzo Ball or like a Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the ACL injury. Someone that is useful when they're off-ball, like they can spot up three really well, but is a pass-first distributor because you have all the talent on that team to score in bunches. Just need a guy to set them up. What about you? What's the fly route? All right. I got two or three things here. The first thing I already mentioned, I think Brad Stevens needs to be self-reflexive and go out and get himself some help first. Get bring in an assistant GM from a good, well-run franchise that has a deep assistant GM well and help help them help you uh, because you're, gr- you're young, you're green, you're new at this job. There are a lot of expectations. If it does not go well, your seat will be flaming hot. Go get yourself some help. That's number one. Number two, I don't disagree about the pass first point guard, but I also think Boston just needs more shooters both to help the starting lineup and second to help their second unit because that was a huge, huge problem. When Tatum or Brown were not on the court, Boston could not score the basketball. I think a free agent player like a Tim Hardaway Jr., etc., <clears throat> would fit very well in Boston. Boston is up against the cap. We talked about this, right? So, so yes. how do you want to split this money up? Do they go budget, point guard, shooters, and depth? Because Tim Cardaway Jr., after that series against the Clippers, 
will command bread bread as he should. So this is my kind of third thing. They got to go into the luxury uh, uh, area if they want to win a championship. They just have to. So here's where they're at right now. So I got this little bit from like Sport Tracker. Somebody they say Boston's current payroll is 128 million, puts them about 13 short of the hard cap, which will only take effect if they do one or two things this offseason, which I think they should do. The first is receive a player in a sign-in trade or use their full mid-level exception. Um, or they could just use their taxpayer mid-level exception instead of the full mid-level exception in order to avoid the, the hard cap. They also but, have a $9 million trade exception. Yes, yes. So they have that 13 to work with. They can do the sign-in trade or something like that to get one of these players. If you can figure oh, out how to work it, i.e. getting a GM to help Brad Stevens to figure out how to maneuver this kind of trade to possibly get yourself a shooter with an expiring contract to do a sign-in trade and or pick up a shooter with a mid-level exception. I think those three moves, Brad Stevens' help, point guard slash shooter, which I think you can find some people who are both, and going to a luxury cap space. Also fourth, getting the fuck off Tristan Thompson. Oh, that too. I don't disagree with that whatsoever. I don't think we disagree about anything here. I think we're all on the same page. That's the fly route for Boston. a playboy affair yo let's get into the afc north all right we've been giving you all of our predictions so far and i think this is gonna be a really 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 good division of football i want you to kick this off demarcus let's start with the cleveland browns Woo! all right so cleveland took a big step forward last year they looked dominant for stretches during the 2020 season i think coming back they will probably move off of obj this offseason oh still i think still look we just saw them last year we saw them with obj everyone says what the team looked better baker mayfield looked better without obj out there so something with the chemistry is not right i'd rather have a guy who fits as opposed to a guy who does not. Can I and I think you, you can still get value for him. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Do you... Okay, so one, I think it's a little weird to trade him now and not earlier. Sure. But more importantly, do you think the chemistry issue was because OBJ felt bigger than Baker? Mm-mm. And Baker tried to force things to OBJ or pay too much attention? And maybe Baker, after taking that next step, when OBJ was gone, feels way more in command of the offense and is willing to kind of be the guy that's just like, yo, you're going to get it when you get it. So, yeah, I don't think it's an OBJ problem. I think it was a Baker problem as far as doling out uh, throws, forcing it, etc. I don't know if Baker will recalibrate when OBJ, OBJ comes back. I sure hope he does. I would like this team to be good, but I'm not sure. But based on my idea that they will be very good offensively, but maybe not have OBJ all eight, 18 weeks. Yeah. You think they'll trade him midseason? Possibly. At, like, they'll show that he's healthy and then make the move? A contender who thinks they're a wide receiver away trades for him? I could see that happening easily. Okay. And we just saw what some of these receivers go for, Julio, etc. You can get a first or a second out of him easy. So, 
I think overall the Browns end up nine and or eleven and six. Eleven and six. Sorry, Yo. I scared you. I scared you. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> eleven and six, which I think is a very good record, which puts them first or second in this division based on the Ravens and Steelers. We'll talk about that in a moment. I think their losses are against really good teams. They lose at Kansas City. They lose at the Chargers. This is the one at the Patriots, at the Ravens. They lose to Green Bay and then at Pittsburgh. And those are their losses for me. And I think those are all very reasonable losses for a team that is good and should still make the playoffs. Okay, I'm going to be real honest with you. I am, like last year, I was bullish on the Browns, told you they to make the playoffs, and you did not believe. I did not. I am doubling down. The Browns will win at least 13 games. So I saw some Browns heavy websites who said that, but they had them beating either they had them beating the Patriots and beating Green Bay. And I said, if Aaron Rodgers is there, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. see it happening. So I'm with you there. So I have them losing to the Ravens once, but beating the Ravens once. Right. I have them losing to the Pats, the Steelers once, the Chiefs, and they will beat the Packers if Rodgers isn't there. They may lose otherwise. But A, I think it's possible that they sweep the Ravens. I'm just going to be honest. It's possible. It's very possible. Uh, B, they have some really soft matchups. They get Houston, the Broncos, the Bengals twice, the Lions, the Raiders. Like, this is a really good team. Like, the additions on defense are disgusting. Particularly in the secondary. Yes. Their draft was really good. Like, their O-line is fantastic. Like, football is one at the line of scrimmage. They have maybe, I think they might have a top three O-line and D-line next year. So, here's my thing. For you. Win the division, is, clearly. is not even close. Oh, okay. Run away. Okay. Run away. Run away. So who do you have at second in the division? Okay. Second in the division, I have the Baltimore Ravens, right? For me, I think this team is good. They'll keep being good, but they have some issues. I think the Baltimore Ravens are the team that goes 11 and 6, right? I expect Lamar to be a better passer this year. Everything about Lamar that we have seen so far in his career shows you that each year, he is better than the last, true or false. That face is the that face shows is so based off the narrative and not based off the, the playoffs. The based stats. off the playoffs. Sure. I, we're not talking about the playoffs. We're talking about the regular season records. It just looks so bad. We are talking about the regular season records. Yes or no, Demarcus. Yes, but he's responsible looks bad. gun owner Demarcus. <laughs> All right. Stop shooting from the hip. 11 and 6. He's going to be a better passer. Each and every year, Lamar Jackson has shown that he puts in the work in the offseason to be significantly better than the year before. I think there is no reasonable reason to believe that he will not make more progress. I'm not saying he's going to be Peyton Manning. He ain't never going to be Drew Brees. Can he even be Dak Prescott? Can he be that good of a thrower? Maybe. Because he's going to need to be if he's going to ask for Dak money this offseason. Uh, no, he's not because he has an MVP and Dak doesn't. But here, here, here we're at. I think what is really going to be important here is are the Ravens receivers better enough this year to help that jump? Because we saw 
look, I'm with you. That's why I say 11 <laughs> and six. That's why I don't think they can win the division. We saw Josh Allen get Stephon Diggs and go to another planet. We saw Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, drop precipitously in all his passing stats because there was no talent on the Pats. Some of it is Lamar's fault, but also some of it is the Ravens receivers. Oh, fault. it certainly is. I'm right. a GM too. They add Rashad Bateman. Everything I've heard about him says he's a stud. They add Sammy Watkins. Hopefully, if he can stay healthy, he can be an addition there. And this is the year that we have to look at Greg Roman and say, can you open up this offense enough to showcase the progress you all have made in your receiving core and that Lamar should be making during the offseason? Regardless, this team is going to be a run-first defense-based football team because that's the identity of the Baltimore Ravens. I have them taking the L's to the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Bears, or the Dolphins. Those are back-to-back weeks, and it's a short week. They play Thursday, Sunday. So I think they'll take one of those losses. Then the Browns, the Ravens, um, the Browns, the Rams, and I think they will get swept by the Browns. That puts them at 11 and 6. Okay. So here's the thing. It's going to sound crazy. I think the Bengals can finish third in this division. I think they can win eight or nine games. I think this team is better than people give them credit for. The Bengals. The Bengals. Talk to me. Talk to me. (laughs) So I have them at 9 and 8. I have them with losses at Green Bay, split with the Steelers, uh, get swept by the Ravens. They lose to the Chargers, Niners, Chiefs. I think Joe Burrow comes off of the ACL injury. He's healthy and makes a big jump forward. I think he keeps them in a lot of games late or gets a few surprise wins late. Yo, that's okay. Okay. So you think the Steelers would be last in the division? I think the Steelers will be either third or fourth. I think they can also have nine games. It'll depend on tiebreakers where they finish against the Bengals. I had the Bengals at like, the five range. I thought they'd win like against the Jags, the Jets, the Lions, the Broncos, you know, those teams. They might steal another win from a team that's actually relatively good, like the Vikings or the Raiders. They could easily do those. Yeah. Like I could see them in the five, six range, but nine. Nine. Okay. That that leaves us with the the elephant in the room, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right? You want to go first or you want me to go first? You can go first. Look, I had them being a 9 and 8 team, possibly 10 and 7, and I was a little bit down on them because of what you said last week. If y'all didn't listen to that episode, DeMarcus had a good point about Big Ben hitting that age wall that most quarterbacks not named Tom Brady hit whereas the season gets later on, they get noodle arm a la Drew Brees. Especially up in the cold and the wind. And that's all Pittsburgh is, right? And I I think that's true. But I also wholeheartedly believe that Mike Tomlin is such a good coach. This team should always overachieve. Oh, yeah. And their defense is fantastic. They got a new stud running back in Najee Harris, who I expect to have a good season. But I have them taking L's to Buffalo week one, Seattle week six, Chargers week 11, Ravens week 13, Chiefs, Ravens, Browns week 16, 17, 18, 
another late season slide like we saw last season. I'm giving you some credit for that. And I also think they take an L week four or nine to the Packers or Bears. But if both of us are somehow right and every team in this division is above 500. Oh, no. I said the Bengals are. Well, they might not be. You'll say they may not be. Yeah. But I think every team in this division could easily be above 500 and two of them could still miss the playoffs. Oh, like the... AFC South last year with mm-hmm. the Dolphins missing the playoffs. Yeah. Yes. I think this division is very good, possibly the best in the NFL. And I think if every team go- is about 500 or so, seven, eight, nine wins, they'll take that claim next year and for the next few years to come because there are a lot of young talent in this division with the exception of Pittsburgh. Facts, facts. Let's not play, boy. All right. Welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, Ballers Bouquets. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do, but never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. All right. So this past week, we got some unexpected NFL news. This is the slowest part of the year for the NFL. It's a time in between all of the movement, free agency, coaching, et cetera, draft, and training scam starting. So usually, we don't talk about the NFL very much. But this past week on Instagram, Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib posted a relatively short video, a couple minutes long, where he basically said, hey, I'm gay. And that was a big thing. It still is a big thing in 2021, even though I would say I would hope it wouldn't be. I don't think it should be. It's a big thing in sports. And particularly North American sports with men. There are basically no openly gay athletes in North American male sports, period. And he is the first one. Carl Nassib is getting this week's Ballers Bouquet, not for coming out as gay, but for donating over a hundred thousand dollars to LGBTQIA plus uh, helping organization, the Trevor project that works with suicide prevention for teens who are in the LGBTQ plus community. All right. I do want to say this is for both. Cause it's really brave to come out. He's the, First active NFL player to come out as gay. Many came out post-career, but he is the first in the middle of his career to do it. Yeah. And I, and I want to take a second to maybe dispel some thoughts people have about sports. If for some reason you think that there are not already gay players in every major sports league, you are lying to yourself. Just period. I've talked or you know, heard from a, even a ton of sports writers who've been around 20, 30, 40 years who are like, eh, not a big not a big deal because there were so many players that they knew were gay while they were playing and they kept their secret, which by the way, thank God these reporters did that because I could easily see people trying to out players and athletes with this information because it'd make a juicy story. You got to think, he talked about it being like a weight off his chest. He looked and 
like exuded relief when he spoke the words in his video. No, for those who haven't seen it, he starts off with, I just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. But until then, I'm going to do my best and my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting and compassionate. And my God, let's take a second also to give at least a round of applause to all the players, coaches, general managers, etc., who came out with open messages of support for him, which mm-hmm. I, I got to tell you, that had to have been huge for Carl because even though he did it, you can't necessarily ex- expect a positive response. And that is overwhelmingly what I have seen from his peers in the NFL, whether it be Saquon. Commissioner Goodell, Saquon Barkley, you've got retired players like Ryan Clark, you've got Hall of Fame players, etc. People from all kinds of different places in the league are supportive of him coming out. Even Raiders owner Mark Davis, who is one of the most progressive owners in the league, was like... Raiders are just historically one of the most progressive teams in the league. First team to hire a black head coach. First team to hire a Latino head coach. First Latino (laughs) coach to win the Super Bowl. First 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 woman executive. All that. Yes. All that. So the owner, Mark Davis, basically had a similar quote, which is like, oh, I didn't think that was news. And listen, that is... Some energy I can keep. Let me Facts. tell you. That's some energy I can keep. Now, let's talk for a second about the Trevor Project, which is the big reason for me that he's getting this uh, Baller's Bouquet. So sometimes we don't realize this, but teenagers who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex, questioning, whatever, are, I would say, the most vulnerable group of people as a whole in this country. Often when teens come out to their parents, some parents still reject their kids, kick them out of the house, make them be on their own at 16, 17, 18, sometimes even younger. And this means that these kids often end up homeless. These kids often end up just living on the streets in general. Uh, They end up doing sex work to get by, et cetera. And there's nothing wrong with that, but no one should be forced to do that to get by. So the work that the Trevor Project does helps these people, these teens, get off the street, get counseling, uh, food, job support, suicide prevention, etc. They just help the one of the most vulnerable groups of people in our country. Uh, outside of maybe the elderly, this is probably the most vulnerable group. And in particular, I'll say this, black trans people are, I would say, the most vulnerable group. In this country, many of them commit suicide, go missing, or are assaulted, and nothing happens. And so shining more light on this is so important. Second thing I want to say that I want to point out. So huge, huge, of course, um, applause, congratulations for Carl for coming out. But his coming out was only paved by decades of other queer people coming out who couldn't hide who they were. Hmm. Yo, I want to talk about one in particular then. Okay. Do you remember Michael Sam? I do. That's the person I want to talk about. Michael Sam, he played college football in Missouri. He was a seventh round pick in the 2014 NFL draft. Michael Sam, 
came out as gay before the draft. Before the draft, he dropped precipitously in the draft to the seventh round. He was a consensus All American, SEC Co Defensive Player of the Year. Yes, exactly. In his senior year at Missouri, he was supposed to be quite a high draft pick. He plummeted. Then he was cut from the then St. Louis Rams that he was drafted to. Briefly was on the Cowboys. Also was cut. Right. And I we all can't say for sure that the reason why he was cut was because he was openly gay. But he did not get much of a chance in the NFL. No, the... At least from what I understand, I wasn't super deep into the Michael Sam thing, but the narrative is that once he came out, being the messenger for that became a bigger part of his life than football. And that was the criticism people gave to him, very much like the way people felt about Tim Tebow, that he did too much with his religion, that that became too much a part of his identity that he couldn't focus on football. And that was the criticism of Tim Tebow in Denver, by the way, before Paid Manning even got there. And so this idea was the narrative. So I don't know if you can say that is because he was gay. Because I think you could be a player who is all about empowering LGBTQ community and not be gay. It's just the narrative was that Michael Sam spent so much time on that. He didn't have the same focus on football that he did when he was the SEC co-defensive player of the year or whatever. Yeah, that's very possible, right? But especially for Tebow, a lot of it wasn't Tebow focusing on it. It was the media focusing on it and then people call and get a distraction. Yeah, I think that a little bit of that will happen this year. I think media members will go out of their way, ask teammates, how's Carl? How's Carl this week? How do you feel about Carl? And it's going to be, I don't care. That's that man's personal life, which is what it should have always been. So really quickly, for those who don't know, Carl Nassib, five-year NFL veteran, currently plays on the uh, Raiders, has played on the Buccaneers and a couple other teams. Um, he's the first openly gay player to be on an active NFL roster. Michael Sam was the first openly gay player in the NFL, but never took a snap in a regular season game. We, as discussed previously, know there's probably dozens, if not hundreds, of gay athletes in football, basketball, soccer, tennis, hockey, baseball, etc., that have never come out, even to this day. We know about a lot of them because of retirement. They but come also out. Statistically, it is just. There have to be more. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, um, you have to reject science and numbers to believe that there's not. Right. So. Big, big ballers bouquet to Carl Nassib for being the first openly gay NFL player to um, take an active snap and donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. If for some reason you're watching this or listening to this and you've been inspired, you've been motivated, we made you feel some kind of way, go ahead and open up your wallet too. It's going to be Friday. Donate to the Trevor Project. Like I said, these are some of the most vulnerable people in our country. You'll be doing good, but also... All the NFL players, coaches, GMs, executives, etc., that gave Carl praise, keep that same energy for them. Support those people too. People are really supporting Carl Nassib. He's had the number one selling jersey on NFL.com for the past few days. I hope we keep that up. Maybe the NFL will go out of their way to do more. You know, 
it's still June. It's pride. Maybe the NFL could do the corporate uh, shuck and jive for pride like everybody else does. Mm. That's our Ballers Bouquet, though. We'll see you next Friday. Y'all is Tony Playboy. All right, all right. That is it for episode 40. 40 of the Fly Route Podcast. (laughs) Yeah, facts. For everybody that's been rocking with us this episode one, we want to thank you. If this is your first episode listening, we still want to thank you. Shout out to those listening on Apple Music, Spotify, Podchaser, YouTube, wherever you hear us, even if it's small clips. We appreciate all of the engagement. We always, always love hearing from you. And we cannot wait to give you episode 41 next Friday. If this is your first time here, whatever platform you're on, don't forget to subscribe or follow at the Fly Route Pod. <laughs>